Well, good afternoon. Six minutes after four o'clock. It's a beauty. It's a good time to talk about employment law. I'm sure you got a million questions swimming around your head as everybody's uh, changing, shifting gears. Things are, are changing out there as far as vaccinations, going back to work. Is it a hybrid system you're looking at? Has your employer mentioned anything about that? Do you have to go work? Do you have a choice? Do you have to comply with what they're saying now after this length of time? And do you have to have a vaccination if they say you got to get vaccinated before you come in? These are all questions I know, Leah, you've been uh, fielding for weeks and weeks now, so we want to bring them up on air. Anytime you have something of a similar question or anything, for that matter, about employment law, this is the hour you want to ask that question. 604-280-9898. We're live for just about the next hour, a little less. So bring it on this afternoon. Ask your questions. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email we use. If we get to a few of those later on, we'll get to some emails on the show. In between that, temporary layoffs, what you need to know. That will be one of a couple topics here tonight. But, again, phone calls, top priority. You always are at 604-280-9898. But opening salvo, a couple things going on with you, uh, Leah, for the week that was. How are you, pal? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, John. I'm excited to to be here and and here with another show. Uh, you know, especially on this beautiful uh, weekend and this stretch of weather we've been having is just incredible. And so, you know, people don't want to think about employment law. I don't really want to think about employment law. I get it. But you know, this is this is only a lull, right? I think that everybody is kind of taking their vacation and you know enjoying the fun, enjoying the reopening. And I think that once September hits. Uh, we're going to be in for a storm again. And so one of my favorite things about this show is, of course, giving everybody the opportunity to call in, ask questions, you know, get something off of your mind, just sort of, you know, run something by me. I've seen so many different kinds of situations. Chances are you're not going to put something to me that I haven't heard of before. And so I'm happy to, to talk you through it, to coach you through it, you know, but it's also just a really nice opportunity to inform people right? We've, we've said this before. I'm sure I said it two weeks ago on this show, which is that employment law is one of those really interesting areas of law where your average person, most people are not going to be aware as to when they need a lawyer, right? right? The, and I think that a lot of employers, they bank on that, right? They bank on the fact that you as an employee are not going to understand what your rights are. You are not going to understand what your entitlements are and so that they can get away with the fast one. And so such a big thing about what I do, what we do as a firm is just leveling that playing field, right? It really is sort of a a more you know situation. And you're absolutely right, John. I mean, you hit it on the head. All of the, you know, last couple of months, um, it's, it's, I mean, even the last year and a half has been all about COVID. It has been all about the pandemic and how that impacts, um, how that impacts employment law. And over the last couple of months, it has been, you know, a lot of questions with respect to reopening. One of the big ones that I've been getting are people who return to work and they are in a different position, right? There are a lot of companies out there that are reopening and they've had to, uh, you know, rethink the way that they're doing business. They've had to restructure, you know, perhaps significantly, perhaps only a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it's very unlikely that you're going to have an employer that was completely untouched by the situation. And in most cases, you are going to have some difference uh, or two. So, you know, what can be done about that? Yeah. First and foremost, you can accept it, right? If it's a if it's a change, if it's something that 
you are prepared to go along with. It sounds okay to you. It doesn't result in a in a you know a large reduction in wages, or does it result in a reduction in wages that you're not okay with? It's something that mm. you can just accept. But you also don't have to. And I think that this is where a lot of people get stuck is that it's presented to many employees as take it or leave it, right? Uh, usually there's the story behind it of, you know, well, we just got through the pandemic. We're lucky to have our doors open and have any business at all. You know, is this a role that you think you can take on? And if it's not, I'm sorry, we don't have anything for you. And that's yeah. going to sound like, you know, if that's put to you, you have no choice but to accept this change or to resign. And like I said, there might be many reasons why you might accept it. But if you're looking at something where you are the sole provider for your family, or or if not, right, you can have any reason uh, for this or not. But if you're looking at like a, a significant reduction in pay, if you're looking at going mm -hmm. down to part time from full time, if you're looking at a relocation, if you're looking at a demotion, these are not things that you have to accept. They aren't. No. You are entitled to say, that is not something that I'm okay with. Uh, I do not accept that. And in the context of not accepting that, you can ask for your severance. Now, you know, I get a lot of pushback from employees and employers alike saying, you know, like, you know, Leah, the, the government has put in all of these measures to make sure that we don't have companies that go bankrupt. And, you know, is it really the fairest thing to take these changes and to try to, you know, take advantage of that or exploit that to get a severance package? Right. I mean, I, I absolutely feel for companies in that situation, but I also don't think that that's the right way to look at it. Remember too, that if you're an employee and you're going after your severance, you don't have to go for blood. In fact, 98% of the time, I encourage people not to. It's not a, it's not a healthy process to, to be antagonistic in the, in the litigation sure. process but you are entitled to something. You do not have to take that. You can, you can accept 50 cents on the dollar. You can, you know, you can call that shot whenever you want to, you can settle your case, but it's just important that you know that you have more options and more control in that situation than it might feel like you do. So that was, that was the first thing that I wanted to cover off today. Gotcha. 604-280-9898 is the way we roll. You want to talk to Leah? She's here to answer those questions. Take uh, take advantage of it. Laura, thank you for standing by for a couple of moments. How are you this afternoon? Hi, good. Thanks. And thanks for taking my call. I know thank it you. sounds like a cliche, but I really do have a friend. One of my friends <laughs> was talking about their job recently. They're feeling very unsafe because of a person that works in the building, but for a different employer. And she has told this to her supervisor numerous times. Nothing's being done about it. And so recently she said, I'm prepared to go to the next level and make a complaint. And her supervisor told her that if she did that, she would be fired and a note would go into her work file saying she was a disruptive employee. Is that allowed? No, and this is again one of those times where I wish we weren't on radio. Like, yes, I'd have to dress up a bit more, but you could have just seen my eyebrows shoot off of my forehead. Um, that is, that is very, yes, that is very, very, very much not allowed. And I, I'm like astonished to hear that they're being that explicit in it. You know, normally you'd have an employer that does a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Do you really want to do that to your job kind of thing? But that's, yeah. I mean, that's pretty clear that they're threatening her um, and her oh, job yeah. security if she makes yeah. this complaint. So, yeah. um, no, of course it's not allowed. Uh, 
through WorkSafe and through, I mean, I don't know what the, what she's experiencing and why she feels unsafe, but mm -hmm. either way, being, um, experiencing any form of what's called a reprisal. So that can be being yeah. fired. It can also be being iced out. It can be being left out of meetings. It can be all sorts of things. Any form mm -hmm. of punishment that comes from you making a legitimate complaint about your health and safety is yeah. very illegal and can result in a legal action, can result in fines, can result in all sorts of things, depending on the nature of the complaint. Okay. Yeah. And do you want to know why she feels unsafe or should I just leave that yes, for off air? Yes, sure. Uh, the no, I, I mean, if, if you... In the building, yeah. I can tell. Uh, she can't. I okay. can't. Uh, is a convicted felon and uh, for sexual offenses and makes inappropriate comments and advances oh <laughs> so yeah i mean like, that's why aren't you protecting your employee yeah no and, and that's that's a perfectly legitimate and legally valid question to be asking every yeah. employer okay. has the obligation to protect their employees from harassment unwanted advances of any kind convicted yeah. felon or not right we can just carve that part right out and put that aside and focus on the fact that she is being subjected to, um, you know, verbal and physical, uh, you know, harassment, harassment that she yeah. does not invite or consent to. Uh, yeah. That is and something that every employer has a positive obligation to, to, uh, to remedy. And this employee, this person does, is not under the same employer. However, the space is shared. So I would think that they could, if nothing else, go to that person's employer and say, tell your person to smarten up. <laughs> now, well, there's, um, there's a case, there's a case that came out, um, in BC a couple of years ago now, where if your employer is, even if the person doesn't work for your employer, if you, mm -hmm. if you are in that position because of your employment, your employer yes. is on the hook. Okay. Right. So just because yeah. this individual doesn't work for them doesn't mean that their employer can wash their hands of it and be done. It's certainly still yeah. their responsibility. Thank you. I will pass your yep. company name along to her. And please do. You bet it's 419 and welcome back. Thank you for tuning into the show this afternoon. You have employment law questions. Bring them on. That is why Leah is here to answer them all. 604-280-9898 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the uh, that's the way we do it. Kevin, thank you so much, pal, for uh, for hanging on for a few minutes. How are you? Yeah, certainly I'm fine today. Thanks. Beautiful. Um, so Great. my my issue is uh, I'm an hourly non-union employee. I'm a site supervisor, and I'm responsible for overseeing the schedule of the employees that I oversee. And I'm off weekends, uh, obviously, and we have scheduling issues on an ongoing basis all the time. And my employer expects me and has told me that I'm responsible for any off, you know, any book-offs, any scheduling issues. And they pay me absolutely nothing for it. There's no compensation given. Hmm. So, like, what okay, do, so, I, do uh, I charge them? Do I yeah, charge them for that? Well, I'm are sorry? you getting paid a salary, or are you hourly wage? I'm hourly. Uh, and do you provide invoices, or how do you clock your time? I just clock my time through an electronic system. 
But, okay. So but, I mean, but, what they might be relying on, what they might be relying on here, Kevin, is um, is an exemption in the Employment Standards Act, which says that people who are in quote unquote management roles aren't entitled to overtime. But if you if if you are getting paid your hourly rate from Monday to Friday and you're not a manager, right? A manager is something that is distinct from a supervisor, although lots of employers correct. conflate the two. Um, right. You know that is absolutely something that you should be submitting your hours for. So if you work in excess of eight hours a day or in excess of 40 hours a week, you want to submit for overtime. But regardless, if you are submitting your time, you should absolutely, overtime or not, be submitting for the time that you're working over the weekends. Because whether you qualify under the manager exemption or not, you are entitled to be paid for the work that they are requiring you to do. Well, certainly that's my feelings, is that I never signed on to work for free, and that's what I'm doing. Absolutely. And so right. you know, even to the extent that you've got um, that you've got a past record of hours work that you haven't claimed for, I mean, submit that too, right? It's I don't want you to right. think that this is only on a going it's, forward basis. You can submit for pay retroactively as well. Now, is there is there a minimum? Do they have to give me like four hours if I do anything as a minimum? Uh, yeah, I think it's... Uh, two. If you're there for uh, two? two hours, you have to pay. You have to pay half a day or something like that. It's a it's a a little bit of a flow chart in the Employment Standards Act that I don't know off the top of my head. But the 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 um, essential essence of it is that if they ask you to show up, if they ask you to be on call, and then they say, you know, this is most often comes up with servers, and then they say, okay, you're gone, you know, 45 minutes, we don't actually need you, they can't just mm-hmm. pay you for that time. There's a certain minimum period of time that they have to pay. It's either two or four. Right, and I'm not, I'm, I'm fielding calls at home, right? Yes. So, yep. yeah, and my, my, my opinion is, is that, you know, uh, there's a management above me a manager who's salaried, who should be attending these issues, right? And he I tells me, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, he tells me, no, 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 you're expected to do these things. And and like I said, essentially, then I'm working for free, and I'm hourly, well, and that's ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, that's fine. They can expect you to do those things, but then you have every right to expect to be paid for those things. Right. Okay. And, and it should be at least a minimum of two hours or whatever the regulation requires. Yeah, if you, if you just, um, if you just Google employment standards branch minimum hours per day, that yeah. it'll, I mean, if I had my internet in front of me, I'd look it up for you right now, but, um, yeah. that'll tell you whether or not it's two or four hours. And, and yes, you absolutely should. If they're, if they're not paying you, if they're not providing you with back pay or if they're refusing to pay you anything in the future, um, I would strongly recommend that you consider bringing a complaint to the Employment Standards Branch. Okay. And if, in fact, they insist on me doing it and I don't do any of these things, anything whatsoever, I just completely neglect the call from our operations department or what have you, uh, certainly they can't discipline me for that? They cannot. They cannot, they cannot require you to work for free. If there's nothing, yeah. you know, as you rightly put it, if there was a manager who's on a salary and the salary mm-hmm. is specifically contemplated as covering all hours, all overtime hours, then, you know, that's something that would, you know, fit under that ambit. But for somebody like yourself who is working on an hourly wage um, and, I think it doesn't sound like qualifies under that manager exemption. They absolutely mm-hmm. cannot discipline you for refusing to work for nothing. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it, uh, Kevin. Appreciate your time. You need to reach out further to Leah for any other questions. Uh, beyond that, 604-283-3123, help at employmentlawyer.ca. But here and now, as you know, 604-280-9898. It is uh, 424 in the afternoon. you got lots of time to ask your questions. DeWitt, thank you for standing by. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well. Thank you. I think, thank you Great. for taking my question. Uh, thank my, you. My question is really real quick and short. Are mm-hmm. rideshare drivers considered self-employed? Are which drivers considered self-employed? Rideshare, like Uber, Lyft. Lyft. Those guys, oh. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, that is the million-dollar question that my firm is trying to sort out right now. And right. um, We actually just had a, um, a, a case go to the Supreme Court of Canada on this exact issue. I mean, it was the cases about this, but the issue that went to the Supreme Court was, was more so about a, a more nuanced preliminary issue. But anyway, to answer your question, we as a firm are taking the position that if you are um, an individual who is dependent on this uh, ride sharing job for your income, uh, if your hours are being set for you, if you are subject to a whole host of rules and boundaries when it comes to how you can perform your job, what sort of profit you can get, whether or not you're responsible for any sort of losses, then you are not self-employed, you are an employee. At worst, you would be a dependent contractor uh, and that comes you know, on a on a spectrum where you'd be entitled to a lot of the same protections as an employee would. So this doesn't apply if I do not work a set amount of time, like, or if I do not totally work for them if it's a part time. Is that what um, am I understanding it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I think job, that. Yeah. I think that what you're asking is ultimately, is it fact dependent? And, and yes, it is, right? If it's something that you are doing to supplement uh, a job, you know, it's something that you are doing part time, uh, infrequently uh, on your own schedule, that's less likely to be something that a court is going to determine that you would be called an employee for. But if it's something that you are, is your full time job, um, and you know Uber or Lyft or whatever the the rideshare program is is governing how you can work and what you can earn, then you are more likely to be employed. But it's it's always going to fall on a range depending essentially on how much control you have over that situation. So this depending the outcome of the Supreme Court ruling, because that was, or is it already this is the uh, law? Well, no, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a case in California um, where that deemed rideshare uh, drivers to be employees. Um, you know, we've got an, an Uber case that is slowly winding its way through the courts. And in the meantime, we're taking that position that most people who are working for those companies are should be considered employees and subject to all of those same protections. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank You're you, welcome. Do I appreciate that? I guess it's uh, it's it's not only you know in the in the case of being the protections, it's also they have to comply with all the things that an employee would. That's uh, you know having taxes taken off, so on and so forth. There's a lot of you know other stuff on the other side of the legal matter, which you guys are sorting through as well and trying to get pushed through the Supreme Court, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you know what this 
struggle and conversation is really going to prove is that we need an update to the legislation. Mm -hmm. The working relationship just looks so different now than it did 10, right. 20, 30 years ago, right? There's there's a lot more gig employment um, and, you know, there's a lot more insecurity. Much there people are, you know, you always hear the, the older generation complaining about millennials and how they hop from one job to the next. Our, our legislation and our laws need to be updated to reflect that and to make sure that people, most commonly gotcha. individuals who are in rideshare programs like that, are not being taken advantage of. Yeah, welcome back. 4.33. Good to have you along here. Again, phone lines are open. Still got plenty of time and phone lines for your calls. You have questions. 604-280-9898. Any other time the show is not on air or we are, that's fine. You still got your, uh, your smartphone with you. A wonderful website that is full of employment law know-how. It's like having a lawyer with you on your phone at all times. Can answer a ton of questions for sure. If not, there's contact on the site as well called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And as a matter of fact, you're probably familiar over the last several years of the severance pay calculator. It is just for that, uh, calculating what your proper severance would be. The uh, The number is always surprising, but it's true and it's accurate. And that is also rolled into pocketemploymentlawyer.ca if you want to check that website out anytime. Okay, temporary layoffs. Let's get into this in between the phone calls, Leah. What you need to know. So, off the top, obvious stuff. What is a temporary layoff and how is it different than a regular termination of employment? Yeah, I, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this topic this week and why I'm mm -hmm. probably going to want to cover it every other week until <sighs> the end of this year is because, um, you know, this has been a huge, huge thing over the last year and a half, uh, temporary layoffs. And my big concern is that with recalls and with people being employed, there's going to be a sense of uh, temporary layoffs being okay. I, I think that there has been a sort of normalizing of temporary layoffs such that even more people than normal think that this is something that people are permitted to do. But hmm. And so, th so that's why I want to talk about it. But first things first is we have to get clear on on the on the vernacular we have to be clear on on what's what because there's so many different things that that get tossed around right i mean there's there's termination there's people say i've been laid off when what they mean is they've been terminated um from the u.s people have been saying the word furlough which is something that you know really sort of came into uh common conversation over the last little bit um but essentially you know the the, the main point here is that a layoff is a distinct legal concept. And even though we often say, oh, I was laid off to mean a permanent termination, when we're talking about a layoff in the legal sense and what it means to employment lawyers, we are talking about something that is temporary versus a termination of employment, which is permanent. A layoff is essentially your employer saying to you, I need to press pause on this employment relationship you are going to go home without pay and we may or may not recall you but the intention of a layoff is that it will be temporary this is just to ride out the winter season or ride out the pandemic or whatever the yeah. case may be to get over some tough period and then they are going to recall you back it is a it is a timeout a regular termination of employment is here are your papers this relationship is done now. Here's your severance. Um, good riddance. And, and that is, you know, brings me to the second main difference, which is that there's no severance. 
uh, automatically anyway. Uh, with a regular termination, you become automatically at that moment entitled to severance with a temporary layoff. You do not. In order to get severance, you have to make that election essentially and ask for it. So the next obvious question would be, is an employer allowed to lay off somebody temporarily? They're not. And this, uh. is, this is sort of what is the most important point to get across. And this is why this is something that I am going to want to talk about probably until you get sick of it and or can just do this show solo, John, huh. is um, you are not allowed it, and I think that, you know, part of the reason why the law on this is so unclear is because there's a lot of common sense reasons for why somebody would accept a layoff, right? If you are a golf course and you are laying right. off your staff in the wintertime, people understand that, right? That makes sense. Yes, you're closed down. It mm -hmm. makes sense that you can't employ me and you're going to recall me in the spring. Um, but that has since been sort of extended and borrowed by all sorts of industries and companies that can't do it to the extent where they're saying, you know, well, we're having a we're having a slow period. You know, we need to bonus out our senior executives. We need to save money. We need to save costs somewhere. And so maybe what we'll do is we'll temporarily lay off our employees because that will give us 13 weeks where we don't have to pay them. And maybe in those 13 weeks, they'll find another job and then we'll be off the hook entirely. We won't owe severance and we don't have yeah. to recall them to work. It, it can be a risky play for employers, but it can also be a really smart play if your employees don't know what their rights are in that situation. So at its very basic level, your employer, it does not matter how good the reason is, your employer cannot lay you off without your consent. Again, the number to call through anytime, 604-280-9898 to call through while we're on air. you still got plenty of time. In the meantime, talking about temporary layoffs and what you need to know. So now it's happened. What can that employee do if they have been temporarily laid off? And what kind of time limit we got on this? Well, you know, this is one of the things that is part of our next topic, which is you know, the, the title is you have to do something about it if. I view temporary layoffs as a situation where you need a lawyer. And I understand that that sounds self-serving. Obviously, I'm going to, um, you know, promote the services that we provide, <laughs> but it's, it's such a touchy, touchy situation. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, you have to have an understanding of what your options are and what your specific options are will depend on factors that are unique and specific to you. That will include the existence of an employment contract, that will include the kind of industry you work in, that will include your history of employment with the employer and whether or not there's been a history of layoffs. So, you know, that's, that's the first thing is speak to a lawyer and figure out what your options are. In most cases, you are going to have the option between accepting the layoff or not accepting it. And not accepting the layoff is an option. If you accept the layoff, then in 13 weeks, you are entitled to be recalled to your job. If it's 13 weeks in one day, you have been terminated. 
and you are entitled to severance. Again, this is critical to get across because over the last year, we've gotten used to this idea that layoffs can be extended, right? In BC, right. it was 13 weeks and then it was 16 and then it was 24 and then it was August, right? It was just, it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. That is not normal. That was an emergency amendment to our legislation. And in BC for, you know, pre-pandemic and every day since August of last year, you cannot be laid off for longer than 13 weeks. And in that case, you're terminated and you're owed severance. If you have been laid off and you don't want to accept it, if you think there's no way that I can risk going 13 weeks without money and maybe or maybe not being recalled, because that's the other important point too, is there's absolutely no guarantee here, right? right? There, There is yeah. no guarantee that you're going to be recalled. You might be recalled only to be laid off again, right? It's it, You just don't know. Um, but if you are an employee and you've been laid off and you don't want to wait around, you do have the option of saying, I treat this as a dismissal. I treat this as a termination. You cannot send me home without work. You cannot send me home without pay. Um, and because you're doing that, I am taking your actions to mean that I've been terminated and you owe me severance. Uh, there's a lot of very rigorous, nerdy debate amongst me and my <laughs> colleagues about whether or not you can consent, whether or not you can acquiesce to a layoff. Um, I think that you can. And so I tell people who are in this position that you are better served if you um, make this election within two to four weeks of having been laid off. So you have a little bit of time to think about it, a little bit of time to contact a lawyer, consider your options and make a decision. But it's it's a tight time frame wherein you want to, you know, finally pull the trigger. Welcome back, 445. Yep, number, it is 604-280-9898. That's what you use to call in and ask your questions here for the remainder of the time this afternoon on the show. But after that, reaching out to Leah, help at employmentlawyer.ca and 604-283-3123 if you want more of a uh, personal and lengthy conversation with Leah or a member of her team. That's how you uh, that's how you do that. But we're going to get back to our chat about temporary layoffs before we move on to a couple other things and what you need to know. Um, it, you brought up something uh, interesting just before the, uh, the end of the last segment, Leah. You were talking about the temporary extension of the, uh, you know, from 13 weeks up to, to much greater length of time uh, that the government imposed because of COVID-19. Now, that did not affect your uh, common law rights, did it? It did not, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's still a lot of, you know, debate and discussion around whether or not it did. But I think that there was this sense or feeling that because the government, you know, has a mechanism for layoffs in the legislation and because they were then extending it, that this was something that employers were just permitted to do. But, you know, with the BC provincial government, there was a lot of fine print that was missing. And if you looked closely at any of these announcements, it made it clear it made it clear in black and white on their website that it had to be with the employee's consent. Just because the government has extended it, just because the Employment Standards Act, you know, provides a way for somebody to be laid off if it's allowed, doesn't mean that it's automatically something that can be done. Uh, you still need as an employee to consent, whether to consent in the moment or to provide your consent in advance of that, you know, by way of an employment contract, 
Um, but no, if you, um, you would still have your entitlement to seek your common law severance in the event of a layoff, whether that be when you're first laid off or whether it be, uh, in my view, at any point when it was extended by the government and you were not on board for that. So again, the next question after you just said that, uh, that I would have, and I guess anybody listening would be, is how much severance then is that employee laid off temporarily entitled to receive? Yeah, the million dollar question. Um, yep. Literally, sometimes, in some cases, yeah. um, you know, depending on how much you earn. Um, but, you know, I think that, again, this is where some confusion comes in because the Employment Standards Act, which is the, you know, the piece of law that governs every uh, non-unionized employment relationship in the province provides for what somebody is entitled to in the event of a termination and that says that you essentially max out at eight weeks and so people think okay you know i've been i've been laid off or i wasn't recalled and now i get my six weeks is it really worth it is it really worth it to risk that recall to get six weeks or eight weeks or whatever the case may be but unless you have a contract that enforceably says that that's all that you get you also have common law entitlements there are two systems operating in BC at the same time that govern what you're entitled to. One is the ESA, so yes, absolutely, that is something that you get, that is something that the statute provides, but our judges have also come together and said, if you are terminated, you will get the minimum under the Employment Standards Act, but you are also entitled to more, depending essentially on how long we think it's going to take you to find other work. And there's a number of factors that we might look to, right? We And this is where the severance pay calculator comes in. We look at age, right? With the idea that older employees have a more difficult time of finding work. Younger employees who are fired from a management level position often have a very difficult time finding work. Uh, we look at the, the job climate. We look at the kind of position that you are working and we look at your length of service. All of those factors combined together will give us a, a range of where we think your entitlements will be. And just to give you know listeners an idea, it's usually around one month for every year that you've been continuously employed uh, with that number going up or down, depending on those other factors. So if you are somebody who was fired from a, you know, a CEO position in Fort St. John, where there's no other CEO positions, you know, you're probably more likely entitled to six to eight weeks per month. So before you say, you know, when you're doing the cost benefit analysis of whether or not to claim your severance or accept the layoff, make sure you have a crystal clear idea of the money that you're leaving on the table because it's not just limited to your statutory entitlements. Any situations where a temporary layoff is allowed? Well, yeah, I mean, to be clear, there's no situation where that makes a temporary layoff allowed, but there are employees who would be permitted to be laid off. So it doesn't matter if the company is experiencing financial difficulty. It doesn't matter if there's a pandemic. It doesn't matter if it's winter. All of these things, they're good reasons. They're valid reasons. Nobody is blaming the employer for what they're doing but that doesn't make a temporary layoff legally permissible. The only thing that makes a temporary layoff legally permissible is a contract that says that it is. So unless you have an employment agreement between you and the company that says you can lay me off Mm -hmm. in accordance with the Employment Standards Act, they cannot do it, it's not allowed. 
the only other time that they can do it is if, as if you can read in a term. So it has to be a term of your employment. We just talked about it being an explicit term by way right. of a contract. It can also be an implied term. So if you are somebody who has been laid off in the past, you've accepted it, you've yes. been recalled, and now they're seeking to lay you off again, the employer is going to say, look, you accepted it you know, in March of 2017 and March of 2019, and now it's March of 2021 and we're doing it again. So this really shouldn't have been a surprise to you, and mm -hmm. you cannot now claim severance on your third time being laid off when you didn't object to it the first two times. Another reason why it's so critical to get legal advice, even if you think that you are okay with a temporary layoff, you need to cover your bases and make sure that you are safe in the event that you are recalled such that your employer doesn't now think that it's a condition of your employment that it can lay you off whenever they want because the employer needs explicit and specific permission in order to lay you off. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like you start off with full protection of the common law, but if you start to lay, you know, like cracking that door open, they can kick it wide open. Then you've got some issues. I mean, that's that whole that whole thing you said just now with temporary layoffs is, you know, once you open Pandora's box, sometimes there's there's uh, there's no going back. So before you let these yeah. things happen, to your point, you know, give Leah and her crew a, a call for sure. I want to get to uh, we got a few minutes left here. I want to get to a, an email from Sean says, Hey Leah, I was let go for cause because my employer said I missed too many days of work for medical reasons. Can they do that? Oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 they can't, Sean. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, they can't even do that if it wasn't for medical reasons. Okay. The, the test for cause is very high. If you miss a couple of days of work, I mean, obviously not ideal likely deserving of discipline, something that your employer should be talking to you about and striving to correct. Put you on the performance improvement plan. You know, make sure that you're being more closely supervised. But they can't just terminate you. Termination for cause means that they're terminating you because it's your fault. And they're saying that because it's your fault, employee, we are not going to pay you any severance, not even your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. Mm -hmm. Understandably, that's a very, very high bar for an employer to reach, right? To, to prove that a termination that the employer is enacting is actually the fault of the employee. So if you miss time for medical reasons, particularly, uh, you know, that's even more problematic because you've got this termination for cause uh, where it's probably likely going to be illegal and it entitles uh, Sean to severance. But when you are um, suffering from an illness or a disability or an injury of any kind, yeah. the company has an obligation to accommodate you. And if they have terminated you, instead of asking questions about where you are, are you okay? Is there anything that we can do for you? That is problematic under under our human rights legislation. Um, so there's this is really a two pronged approach here. There's the wrongful dismissal damages mm -hmm. that this individual will be entitled to because of the improper termination, but there's also a real live question as to whether or not this company satisfied its obligations to Sean under the BC Human Rights Code, which would be to make inquiries and accommodate somebody's disability, which can include absences. Now, when you say, I know we got about a minute and a half left, but I'll throw, you, you mentioned the word accommodate a couple of times. I mean, it's, 
it's not just as simple as the company saying, "What do you? Oh, you want us to? Nah, man, we can't do that. That's too much. Sorry, we we're shutting the door on that one. It's a pretty high threshold. I, I believe that you know it's, it's to, uh, the, the point of undue hardship. I believe is what you guys refer to it as well. So, I mean, the, the company, big or small, has to go to some great lengths to make this happen, right? Exactly. You know, you can't just say. Um, oh, well, you know, they didn't show up. And so we're just going to put our blinders on and, and not ask any questions and not do anything about it. Right. I mean, number one, you have the duty to inquire. So you have to ask about, you know, why somebody's had a change of attitude in the workplace or, you know, why somebody has missed shifts if it's out of character. And if it's as a result of a disability um, or an illness of some kind, and that individual is saying, look, you know, I need to um, have a little bit of flexibility with my hours or, you know, every once in a while I need to call last minute with respect to shifts. You're right. An employer can't just say, we've thought about it. We don't feel like doing that. And so we're not going to. So too bad for you. There is a duty to accommodate. And that duty to accommodate means that you have got to do everything in your power as an employer, as long as it doesn't cost too much and by that i mean it's not prohibitively expensive and as long as it doesn't put other people's health and safety at risk it is likely going to be something that you have to do so yes the duty to accommodate is a huge really important live question it's always going to be contextual and in that case i actually really recommend that employers get legal advice in that situation as well and that'll do it for another afternoon. Appreciate your phone calls and all your emails as we do every Sunday afternoon going forward here. As we're going to wrap it up, here's how you reach Leah and her team. Really simple, 604-283-3123. That's the phone number, of course. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. The website, employmentlawyer.ca, will take you to the firm's website. And among other things there, you will be able to find episodes of our long-running TV show as well, which is pretty cool. And then finally, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the free and anonymous website built just for you as well. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Employment Law Show on CKNW.